One of the staff ministers here, and uh, on behalf of the shepherds and on behalf of the staff, I would like to invite anyone here this morning who would like uh, to become a disciple of Jesus to do that. Uh, if you would like more information about how to become a disciple of Jesus, we would love to sh talk with you about that as well. And uh, one of the ways that you can do that this morning is as you leave this morning, there's going to be a green wall out in our foyer, what we call the family room. I'll be standing in front of that green wall. Uh, even if these are maybe not a question that you would have, uh, you're just a visitor, we've never had a chance to meet, I would invite you to come by and let's introduce ourselves to one another there at the Green Wall. But again, if this is something that's on your heart, you would like to know what it means to be a disciple and how to do that, how to begin that life in the kingdom of God, you can see me or any of the staff ministers or shepherds, they'll have a little name tag on them. They would be glad to share with you that information. Now, we are going to begin today a three-part series on marriage that I'm calling The Myths of Marriage. Now, we all uh, have a pretty good idea of what a myth is or how to define it. We, we know it when we see it, right? But for the sake of argument, here's the definition that we're going to start with to define how we're going to talk about the myths of marriage. A myth is a wi uh, widely believed untruth or misconception. A myth is a widely believed untruth or misconception. Now, three years ago, Best Life published an article entitled 50 Well-Known Facts That Are Actually Common Myths. 50 Well-Known Facts That Are Actually Common Myths. Uh, there's a 50, but I'm only going to share just a couple for uh, illustration. For instance... It takes seven years for your body to digest gum. That's a myth. The Mayo Clinic, of all places, says that your body cannot digest, digest gum at all, not even in seven years. It's a myth. Here's another myth. You swallow eight spiders a year while sleeping. <laughs> Thankfully, a myth. Scientific American says, nope. That's not true. How about this one? Albert Einstein failed math class. Smartest man just about to ever live, but he failed math class, right? And we all believe that's true. I've read that this actually drove Einstein nuts. And he himself took personal umbrage at it and tried to correct this. And he would tell everybody that not only did he not fail math class, he, he passed at the top of his class, and by the time he was 15, he had mastered differential and integral calculus. Another myth. Listen carefully. Sugar causes hyperactivity in children. Myth. How many of you believe that that's a myth? I'm not, see, we... Sugar causes hyperactivity in children, a definitive 1995 meta-analysis published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that sugar in children's diets does not affect their behavior. So load them up on donuts. Here's another one. It's safe to eat food that's been on the floor for five seconds or less. The five-second rule, right? I'm not going to tell you how I interact with that particular piece of information. 
But a 2017 Clemson study revealed that there is a lot of salmonella and a lot worse that jumps on food in five seconds or less. The five-second rule, not true. And then this one kind of breaks all of our hearts. Twinkies have no expiration date. You know, how, I mean, we really believe that uh, the Twinkies are going to survive nuclear winter, right? Uh, along with the roaches. Twinkies have no expiration date. Actually, not true. They have an expiration date, 25 days. 25 days. Twinkies have an expiration date. I mean, I, I could give you some more, but you get the idea, right? Now, all of these myths have a couple of things in common. Number one, we believe them because we have heard them all our lives. The more you hear it, the more you believe it. And the more you believe it, the more you hear it, and it confirms the bias. I mean, you know how that works. Number two, we believe them still, even though we know that they are false. We will still freak out when we swallow gum. We are most definitely not going to load our kids up on sugar, especially before Sunday school. We're still going to eat food dropped on the floor, five seconds or not, and we're still going to eat our year-old Twinkies. But when it comes to myths, not all myths are created equal. Not all myths are created equal. There are some myths that can bring a lot of needless hurt, a lot of disappointment into your life. And that's especially true for the myths pertaining to marriage. And so for three weeks, beginning today, we're going to be looking each week at two related myths about marriage. And this is how I'm going to do it. There is a myth that we believe about marriage before we get married that leads to engaging another myth or a second myth while we are married. So there is a myth we engage with before we get married that we believe about marriage. And then once we're married, that myth engages another kind of a myth that can lead to you know, some, some hard things, some hard realities in married life. These myths form a deeply destructive alliance, a lot of times creating impossible expectations. And this is where the trouble begins to brew in a marriage. They have the potential to undermine our marriages, and not only to undermine them, but to even, sadly enough, to terminate them. So I have two goals for the next three weeks, and the two goals are for those that are married, uh, for those that are about to get married, and for single folks. And here are the two goals. I want us to avoid these myths personally. I want us to have healthy marriages, and I want us all as a church family not only to work with each other and encourage each other and pray for each other when it comes to our marriages and for there to be really, really healthy marriages, but secondly, we want to help others avoid these myths as well. And it doesn't matter if you're married or about to get married or you're single. You're going to, I guarantee you, you're going to run into somebody this week, either at school, you're going to run into them on the playground, you're going to run, well, maybe not the playground, that's a little young to be married, right? <laughs> you know, forget I said that. But at the workplace, in the neighborhood, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're going to run into somebody that has that's entertaining, that's somehow acting out some kind of a myth in marriage. And so here's the plan for this morning. We're going to uncover myth number one, uncover myth number two, and then we're going to recover a better truth or a better reality, a biblical reality for marriage. So here are the first two, um, the first two myths, the first set of myths. The first one is this, 
I have to be married to be happy, fulfilled, and normal. I have to be married in this culture to be happy and fulfilled and normal. Two things right off the bat. You can't be married and be extremely unhappy, unfulfilled, and therefore never feel normal any day of your life. By the same token, you can be single and extremely happy and extremely fulfilled and to be the most normal, normal person on planet Earth. Not everyone gets married. Not everyone is even meant to be married. For instance, Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus, his church. Jesus was the most happy, the most fulfilled, and certainly the very definition of what a normal person was supposed to look like on planet Earth, and he was single. Go figure. There is an unspoken assumption on our Christian college campuses. Uh, there's an unspoken assumption even in our churches in our church families, that the key to happiness and fulfillment and to be normal is to have a spouse. In the context of being married and the context of being single in a church, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 these words, but each of you has what? Your own gift from who? From God, right? But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift one has another. What Paul is saying in the context of a church, married and unmarried people, that the married life is a gift, and so is the single life. The single life is a gift. And so when it comes to this first myth, the danger in believing this myth, the danger in this myth is believing marriage creates automatic happy. The danger in this myth is believing that marriage creates automatic happy. Now, here's the scenario to kind of illustrate the danger of this myth. You believe that you will not have true happiness until you have a spouse. You're bebopping along in life, and you kind of get to a certain age, and you believe that you will not have true happiness until you have a spouse. It's your senior year at college, and you're beginning to feel that ring-by-spring pressure right? Or you're out of college and, you know, you just feel like time is running out. There's a biological clock ticking. And in that pressure, in believing that myth, in that pressure of that myth, you decide to widen the playing field and to lower your standards. In that pressure, you decide to widen the playing field and lower your standards. You begin ignoring the character flaws. You begin discounting the spiritual differences. You begin overlooking some of the obvious immaturities. And you begin looking away from the red flags that are, that are flapping in the relational breeze. And here's what begins to happen. You begin flirting with accepting what at one time in your life would not have been acceptable. You begin flirting with accepting the unacceptable. And at some point you offer a ring or you accept a ring because you believe the myth that you have to be married to be happy, fulfilled, and normal. That marriage, that, that, uh, in, in that marriage with that myth and going through space and time, that's going to lead to a second myth that's related to it. 
Since I need to be married to be happy and fulfilled and normal, then, second myth, my spouse exists to meet all my needs. My spouse exists to meet all my needs. Here is where sad and disappointing realities begin to appear. I remember listening to a sermon maybe 10 years ago uh, by Tim Keller, who just recently passed away, and he was preaching on marriage. And one of the things that he said just stuck in my mind, because it was the first time, it was one of those things you kind of intuited, but you never heard anybody articulate it the way that Dr. Keller did. And he said, you know, when you have this, this expectation of your spouse meeting all of your needs, it's going to set up two really important and dangerous opportunities to come into that marriage and to hurt it. The first is you are setting yourself up for major disappointment. And number two, you're putting on your spouse this unbelievable, burdensome expectation that they are not going to be able to fulfill. You remember, you know, sometimes we talk about a definition of insanity. That definition of insanity goes like this, right? It's doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different return or a different reality or some, some different result. It's a cycle of insanity. Now, here is what is really kind of a, an insane way to think about marriage. It is insane to believe that a broken human can do what only God can do. It is insane to believe that a broken human can do only what God can do. And yet, friends, we keep believing it over and over and over again. We keep falling for this myth over and over and over again and again and again. And it's disappointment after disappointment. And it is a myth and it is a, it is a myth we've got to start jettisoning. Listen, friends, marriage, as I said earlier, is a gift. It is a gift in marriage. Husband and wives are to care for each other and love each other and to serve each other and to bring out the best in each other as is humanly possible. And that's what Scripture teaches. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be what? Oh, come on, husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now what does it mean to be considerate? It means that you're stopping in the, the, the mid-stampede of the day to consider, to think, to reflect, to ponder, to, you know, to think about that person who is your wife. And to be considerate is to not cause hurt or inconvenience based on your knowledge of your wife. That's what it means to be considerate of them. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says to the wives, Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, in these verses addressed to both husbands and wives, the Bible is teaching that marriage is a place of understanding, that marriage is a place of acceptance and a place of service that leads to relational health. It is not building the expectation that your spouse is responsible for or even capable of meeting your every need. Now, here again is the scenario to illustrate the myth. You believe, and this is why you got married, you, got to, you have to be married to be, you know, happy. And because that's true, then in marriage, your spouse is supposed to meet your every need, to meet all your needs. So, you believe your spouse exists for that reason, 
And they do meet your needs until they don't, or they can't, or they won't. Sometimes it even begins on the honeymoon. And this makes you feel like you're being robbed of something. You're supposed to be meeting my needs, all of them, on demand. You're supposed to be meeting my needs. You're not doing that. Either you don't or you can't or you won't, which means that I'm, I'm robbed of something. Robbed is what you feel when you are entitled to something that doesn't come your way. And because you feel robbed, you feel the victim. And as the victim, as the victim, you're justified in becoming sulky or pouty or moody or gripey. And when that doesn't work, you begin to fantasize about a marriage partner that will meet your needs. But that person does not exist either. The danger in this myth is believing your spouse is responsible for automatic happy. The danger in this myth is believing your spouse is responsible for just automatic happy. So are we now just stuck? You know, I'm in, I'm in marriage, and maybe I bought into these things. Are we just stuck? The answer is is no. Now that we begin exposing the myths of marriage, we can begin to live in the reality of a much better truth, a healthier truth, and a biblical truth. Let's talk about the basic of marriage. When most of us have questions, now, you know, if, uh, Barry spends a lot of time with, with people, Richard, Douglas, you know, the guys on staff, we, you know, we spend a lot of time with people, and a lot of times it's with married people talking about marriage. And a lot of times, the questions that we get about marriage sound like this. How do you do it? How do you do it? Or how do you survive it? Or how do you make it last? Now, all of these are really good questions, but they never really get to the core of it. What is the it you're trying to do, survive, and make last? What is marriage? In our course text that Leonard read a couple of minutes ago, in Genesis chapter 2, beginning about verse 18, going down to verse 24, God sees that the man, Adam, is alone. And after like seven times he says, it's good, there is this not good that just jumps off the page. God is saying that out of all of creation, he looks upon the man's loneliness and says, this is not good. So question. Did God mess up? Did God mess up? Do we believe that the God who created the good heavens and the good earth and the good everything in between then messes up when he creates man? Ladies, don't answer that. <laughs> the answer is no. There is an epiphany here for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. What we are learning at the very beginning of time of creation, at the very beginning of us and, and earth and heaven, is that humans are built and made and created to operate in relationship with other human beings. And one of those relationships is a special, one-of-a-kind, unique relationship that we call marriage. And God creates the woman 
And when the man, Adam, sees her for the very first time, after spending all that time in in creation, I, I don't know how long it was, but he sees the woman for the first time, he says, at last. If he was from South Texas, he'd say, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> the man exclaimed, this one is bone from, of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Adam sees the woman for the first time. He breaks out into poetry. And he says, finally... This is the one who feels like they can live in me and I can live in them. And when he says that, it leads to the very next verse. Verse 23 leads to verse 24 where Moses writes, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one couple of notes on this verse. Marriage is about leaving, not destroying, not demolishing, but marriage is about leaving one kind of a relationship to create space for a one of a kind relationship. The Hebrew word that is translated join, the Hebrew word devak, literally means to be glued together. And there is such an exclusiveness and such an intimacy and such a oneness to this relationship that to introduce another human being into that relationship is to wreck it. So as we get ready to shut down, let me define it this way. Marriage is the God-created, deeply intimate, people being glued together, monogamous relationship between a man and a woman for life. Now, as disciples of Jesus, who are picking up our crosses daily and following Him, and living as spouses with spouses, how then do we move away from these extremely treacherous myths into healthier, maturing marriages? To do what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18, to, enjoy or to rejoice in the, the spouse or the wife of our youth. It is to go in the opposite direction of the myths. There was a common thing in all of those myths, right? It was always about what I get, what I get, what I get. It was always about being self-centered. It was always about being at the very center. It's what I get. It's about all of my needs. The secret to a healthy marriage, and again, we're going to be building on this over the next two weeks, but but the healthiest marriages I know are not built on me, but built on you. In fact, those myths cut across one of the most basic teachings of the Bible, and especially the New Testament. Not only is God described throughout the Bible as one who gives and sacrifices and is patient and is gives and is always there serving, is is giving and blessing, but even Jesus himself said it's more blessed to what? Give than to receive. And one of the things that we say when we're doing premarital counseling is if you want a better spouse, you've got to become a better spouse. Or we might say it this way. 
as people who are called to deny themselves, as people who are called to pick up their own cross, people who are, who are called to allow the Spirit of God living in them to sanctify them and to transform them and to turn them into somebody that looks like Jesus, who is the definition of what it means to be a normal human being on planet Earth. We deny ourselves in order to live for another God with another. We deny ourselves in order to live for another with another. Now, in review, it is a myth to believe that the only way that you can be happy is to have a spouse. The only way that you can be fulfilled, the only way that you can be normal is to have a spouse. And the second myth is that the person that I happen to be married to is the person that is solely responsible to meet, to meet all my needs. That is a burden and a weight and an anvil and a safe that we drop on other human beings that, is, that, that crushes them under the pressure, the pressure to do what they were never meant to do or capable of doing. In every healthy marriage, every healthy marriage it begins with a relationship with God in which we learn, like Jesus, to pick up our cross and to follow Him and to deny ourselves and to look to the needs, to have the attitude of Christ in everything that we do, in looking to the needs of another person and meeting those needs. And one of the ways that we do it is by getting rid of the myths and beginning to think again about what it means to embrace God's Word, embrace God's truths when it comes to marriage. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks. Let's stand and let's sing together.